Alright, last week we taught the doctrine of giving part one, or at least we taught giving, and I renamed it part one. And when the clock told 745, we were in the process of studying certain background information about an offering partially taken by the church at Corinth. And I think we'll finish the uh, doctrine of giving uh, as part two, and then probably get into the doctrine of love. All right, Paul described the problem of an offering not taken in Corinth as compared with the Macedonian churches who had very generously given in order to help the saints at Jerusalem. We noted that in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 1 through 20. So let's review some of that learned, and then we will begin new material at point 9 on page 2. But first, let's use 1 John 1, 9 as may or may not be necessary. Let us pray. Father, we're grateful for the privilege of being able to come together and study your word. Guide us now and direct us. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Alright, giving is a concept in both the Old and New Testament. Certainly there was tithing, but there was also giving as we noted. However, giving was never tithing. Giving is today part of worship and must be motivated by Bible doctrine in the soul. The same is true, of course, or was true in the Old Testament. Tithing was a demand of the state both when Israel was a theocracy and a monarchy. So if there was any giving in the Old Testament, which there certainly was, as we know from the book of Malachi, and there was also tithing, but motivation had to come again uh, from uh, heaven itself. All right, tithing and giving are taught in the Old Testament, but only giving is taught in the New Testament. There are detailed teachings in the New Testament regarding giving as part of a believer's worship practice. All right, giving is closely related to God's salvation by grace, Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, for by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. The Corinthians had agreed to take up an offering for the saints at Jerusalem, but then neglected to do it. The amount there was not an issue, but rather the chance to give, being given to the congregations was the issue. That is to say, the taking of the offering itself. They'd promised to do it and they hadn't done it. So the leaders of the church are being asked to give the people the opportunity to give. And we noted that in 2 Corinthians chapter 9 verses 3 and 4. Uh, And also verse 5, verse 5 says, So I thought it necessary to urge the brothers to visit you in advance and finish the arrangements for the generous gift you had promised. Then it will be ready as a generous gift, not as one grudgingly given. So much for review. Now let's see what we can do with some new material. Point 9, a mature believer will be a giver. He will want to give. We always have to distinguish the fact that so much emphasis is point, so much emphasis is made of the actual giving of the coin in the plate. 
as opposed to it can be a mental attitude. So that uh, is what we mean when we say a mature believer will be a giver. He may have money, he may not. That's God's business. But he can still give. In other words, it's the want to. And the gift is complete in the mind. So whether you have money or not to give is God's business. Notice Philippians chapter 4, beginning in verse 14, reading through verse 18. Yet it was good of you to share in my troubles. The church of Philippi was a very good church, strong church. I hate to say good church, a very strong church. And you remember how it started, just with a few ladies down by the riverside, where uh, Paul and his team came across the Hellas Point and then uh, made their way south to Philippi. They didn't find any uh, synagogue, uh, so uh, they did find some women down by the riverside. And from there it grew. And, and he's saying to them, you know, I sure appreciate you helping me. Moreover, as you Philippians know, in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, when I set out from Macedonia, as he moved south, you remember, to Berea, and then all the way down to Achaia and Corinth, not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving except you and you only. For even when I was in Thessalonica, which of course was on the road down to you sent me aid again and again when I was in need. Not that I am looking for a gift, but I am looking for what may be credited to your account. So I have received full payment and even more. I am amply supplied now that I have received from Paphroditus the gifts you sent. They are a fragrant offering and acceptable sacrifice pleasing to God. All right, New Testament givers are promised future blessings when they give. Recall you can give in the privacy of your mind. Again, not locking in on putting the coin in the plate. But rather it can also be a mental attitude. Second Corinthians 9, 8, then we'll drop down to verse 10 and read verse 11 also. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that in all things at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You will be made rich in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. And and through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. Your generosity. So how does giving relate to the pastor teacher? Several points with scripture will illustrate. First of all, you can never pay enough for doctrine. You can never pay for Bible doctrine. So not even, you shouldn't even try. God will get doctrine to positive believers. When people want doctrine, God will get it to them. The Corinthians received doctrine even though they refused to provide support to Paul. They provided neither material nor moral support. 2 Corinthians 11, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9. But I do not think I am the least inferior to those super apostles. Apparently they had been those who had come by and uh, taught 
and uh, raised the hair on the back of the necks of the people there with their stories and so forth. He says, I may not be a trained speaker, but I do have knowledge. We have made this perfectly clear to you in every way. And they used to, they were infamous for comparing him to these other, I call them visiting firemen. Was it a sin for me to lower myself in order to elevate you by preaching the gospel to you free of charge? In other words, he didn't ask him for any money. He didn't get any money. He worked and he taught at night. I robbed other churches by receiving support from them so as to serve you. A record that we just had from the churches in the Philippi, or from the church in Philippi. And when I was with you and needed something, I was not a burden to anyone. For the brothers who came from Macedonia supplied what I needed. That's northern Greece. I have kept myself from being a burden to you in any way and will continue to do so. You have Achaia in the south, and we've seen many a map of that. And we have the northern portion of Greece, which is called, at that time, Macedonia. All right, as noted above, not to be confused with the country Macedonia today. As noted above, not only did they complain of his taking money, but they also complained of his lack of speaking ability as compared to several visiting firemen who had passed through Achaia and delivered entertaining messages. Paul in 2 Corinthians 11.9 reminds the Corinthians that he did not take their money, but it would seem the great elocutionists whom they so admired most certainly did take their money, at least according to the scriptures we'll read. Notice what he says of these men in Second Corinthians eleven nineteen and 20. You gladly put up with fools since you are so wise. Boy, wouldn't it be awful to be in a church like that and get a message from somebody? Of course, they didn't know Paul was who Paul was. But it, uh, he really, he really, uh, jumps on them. In fact, you have even put up with anyone who enslaves you or exploits you or takes advantage of you or pushes himself forward or slaps you in the face. Ooh, the pastor teacher is to be paid. And let's go on with what we're going to find out about the pastor and money. The pastor teacher is to be paid for his work, says the scripture. Notice Deuteronomy 25.4 from the law, from the uh, Old Testament. Thou shalt not muzzle the ox when he treadeth out the corn. Paul quotes this verse in 1 Corinthians 9.9 during a discourse related to the Corinthian criticism. Beginning in verse 9, reading through 10 and 11. For it is written in the law of Moses, Thou shalt not muzzle the mouth of the ox that treadeth out the corn. Doth God take care for oxen? Or saith he it altogether for our sakes? For our sakes, no doubt, that is, this is written, that he that ploweth should plow in hope, and he that thresheth in hope should be a partaker of this hope, of his hope. If we have sown unto you spiritual things, it is a great thing. If we shall reap your carnal things. In other words, bacon and beans, etc. All right, carnal things in verse 11, it would seem, are things for the body, that is to say, food, clothing, etc. 
Apparently certain teachers had exercised this right over the Corinthians. But Paul triumphantly boasts that we have not used this power. Paul goes on to discourse on this subject of his teaching and his right to accept or, listen to this, reject support. Paul worked often and taught at night. Uh, he was a tent maker, you remember. If others have this right of support from you, shouldn't we have it all the more? But we've not used this right. On the contrary, we put up with anything rather than hinder the gospel of Christ. Again, talking to the Corinthians, and it was his firm belief that if they had, if he had said, I'm not teaching anymore because you don't pay your share, that would have uh, been a problem and it would have turned them off. Um, perhaps, who knows, but that was his opinion and it's a divine opinion, it's an inspired opinion. I'll go on. Don't you know that those who work in the temple get their food from the temple? And those who serve at the altar share in what is offered on the altar. And in 1 Corinthians 9.14, Paul reminds the Corinthians that Moses in the book of Numbers commanded the support of the priests who served at the altar. And we went through that, did we not? Certainly earlier. In the same way, the Lord has commanded that those who preach the gospel should receive their living from the gospel. 1 Corinthians 9.14 all right, the payment is made so the pastor teacher can study and teach rather than work at another job and thus be limited in time. Notice 1 Corinthians eleven fifteen and 16. But I have not used any of these rights. Am I not writing this in hope that you will do such things for me? I would rather die than have anyone deprive me of this boast. Yet when I preach the gospel, I cannot boast, for I am compelled to preach. Woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. All right, Paul makes clear, pay or no pay, he will teach the gospel, for he feels compelled to do so. Now let's look at 17, 18, and 19. If I preach voluntarily, I have a reward. If not voluntarily, I am simply discharging the trust committed to me. What then is my reward? Just this, that in preaching the gospel I may offer it free of charge and so not make use of my rights in preaching it. Though I am free and belong to no man, I make myself a slave to everyone to win as many as possible. Okay, Paul encourages Timothy to not be ashamed to accept pay for his work. In other words, don't be ashamed for Taking pay. First uh, Timothy five seventeen and 18. Let the elders that rule well be counted worthy of double honor, especially they who labor in the word and doctrine. For the scripture saith, Thou shalt not muzzle the ox that treadeth out the corn. And the laborer is worthy of his reward. All right, conclusion. New Testament giving comes from a generous mental attitude. 2 Corinthians 8, 2 and 3. Remember 2 Corinthians 8 and 2 Corinthians 9 are principally devoted to giving. Verse 2. How that in a great trial of affliction, the abundance of their joy and their deep poverty abounded unto the riches of their liberality. 
For to their power I bear record, yea, and beyond their power they were willing of themselves, a reference to again those Macedonians. Giving is a part of worship and is to be motivated by doctrine in the soul. Verse 7. Just as you accept, remember these are, conclu- these, these are conclusion points, so hopefully we've covered them. But as you have excelled, as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, and in your love for us, see that you also excel in the grace of giving, or this grace of giving. Alright, giving as a matter of worship is something the believer does. If a believer has been blessed, then he or she gives materially to God. What is done with that gift is the responsibility of the stewards of the gift. We should not give a whit about their responsibility. God will discipline them when they are out of line. Talking about pastor, teachers, evangelists, etc. Because they're getting double blessing and also getting double discipline. Remember that. We've covered that before. The New Testament church should therefore be a grace ministry dependent totally on free will offerings of believer priests who elect to associate with a particular local assembly. Giving must never become an issue in the local church except as part of worship. To place a price on doctrine is totally incompatible with grace. Many who are positive to the word of God are financially unable to give. Believers have a right to Bible doctrine regardless of their financial status. So much forgiving. Now let's see what we can learn from doctrine or the doctrine of love. Our doctrine of love. Introduction. Let's begin by reviewing a point or two about Christ's love. Alright, a person's love is no stronger than the character of the one who initiates the love. The character of Jesus Christ is perfect, therefore his love is perfect. This perfection cannot be matched. We love him as our character is strengthened from doctrine in the soul. That should be and is the source of our love of God. Jesus' love for us, however, does not in any way depend on us. Therefore, Jesus' love depends on whom and what Christ is and not whom and what we are. His love then is one of absolute grace. All that God is free to do for you and for me on the basis of the cross without in any way compromising His integrity. Christ has found a way for man to respond to His love. 1 Corinthians 2.16 For who hath known the mind of the Lord that it might instruct him, but we have the mind of Christ. Alright, 1 John 4.19 We love him because he first loved us. All this under the heading, of course, of Christ's love. We responded to the love of Christ by taking in his mind. That's how we respond to the love of Christ. By taking in his mind. Getting metabolized doctrine. So the more we take in the word. The more we become like him. And therefore we are better lovers of him. Doctrine must be in the soul of the believer. Before we can respond to the love of Christ. We cannot love Christ unless we know him. And this can only come from doctrine resident in the soul. Doctrine 
resident in the soul. All right, so much for Jesus' love. Now let's look at category one, a love. We got, first of all, let's talk about the five categories of love. Category one is a love toward God. You know how you get that. Taking in the Word of God as we just seen. Knowing Jesus as our Savior. Then knowing about Jesus our Savior. And then category two is a love toward the right man or the right woman. And marriage, of course. Category three is a love toward friends. Category four is a love toward all believers with a relaxed mental attitude, even if you have no positive feelings toward them. And category five is a familial love, familial between parent and children. All right, background information about love in general. But uh, beginning, since we've talked about category one, love, love of God, Let's go ahead and talk about category two, love. It is commanded in both the Old and the New Testaments. For example, the Old, Deuteronomy 6, 5. And thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart and with all thy soul and with all thy might. Deuteronomy 10, 12. And now, Israel, what doth the Lord thy God require of thee? But to fear the Lord thy God and to walk in his ways and to love him and serve the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul. All right, uh, and that of course is a reference really to category one, a love, which is love of God, both in the Old Testament and in the New. Let's look at some New Testament scriptures. First of all, Matthew twenty-two thirty-seven. Jesus said unto him, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul and with all thy mind. And what was that in answer to? What of the great commandment? What's the greatest commandment? Now in the kingdom age, negative people who did not accept the Messiah were said to not love God. All right. Uh, now we're talking about category one, love. As you can you can see from the point one. Now let's look at a scripture too about the kingdom age. What's the kingdom age? We got it on the board. We've seen it time and again. That's of course when Christ came and presented His kingdom to Israel. So in the kingdom age, negative people who did not accept the Messiah were said to not love God. Notice John five forty one, forty two, and forty three. Christ said, I receive not honor from men, but I know you, that ye have not the love of God in you. I am come in my Father's name, and ye receive me not. If another shall come in his own name, him ye will receive. So if you love God, you will do what Christ tells you to do. John 14, 15, 16, and 17. If you love me, keep my commandments. And I will pray the Father, and He shall give you another Comforter, that's the Holy Spirit, and that He may abide with you forever. Notice, even the Spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive, because it seeth Him not, neither knoweth Him, but ye know Him, for He dwelleth with you, and shall be in you. So I will pray the Father, and He will give you a Comforter. And then we find 
if I recall, 11 scriptures that tell us we all get the Spirit the moment we believe. And I may be wrong there. I have been wrong in the past. It's either 11 or 7, you know. One or the other. 7 come 11, you know. If you're shooting graphs. But this is talking about Bible study. Alright, in a discourse with the scribes, Christ made an interesting comment in answer to the question, What shall we do? This is so interesting. What shall we do that we might work the works of God? What was the answer from our Lord? Believe on Him whom He hath sent. Then said they unto Him, What shall we do that we might work the works of God? Jesus answered and said unto them, This is the work of God that ye believe on Him whom He hath sent. I find that to be such an interesting verse. When I first saw it, I thought, well, here it is. You know, you want to know what to do? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. Alright, now let's go on to point five. If you love God in the kingdom age, there are a number of promises from Christ, such as the indwelling of not only the Spirit, but also the Son and the Father. John 14.23, Jesus answered and said unto him, If a man love him, he will keep my words, and my Father will love him. And we will come unto him and make our abode with him. Both Jesus and the Father notice. Alright, and we already found evidence of indwelling of the Spirit in in another scripture. So all three indwell us. Thank you, Father. Alright, there are many passages that indicate all believers today are indwelt by the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. John 17, 22 and 23. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one in, as we are one. I and them and you in me. May they be brought to complete unity to let the world know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. In John 14, 20, on that day you will realize that I am in my Father and you are in me and I am in you. In Colossians 1.27, To them God hath chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. And then again with reference to the, the uh, Holy Spirit, John 7.37, 38 and 39, On the last and greatest day of the feast, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the Scripture has said, streams of living water will flow from within him. By this he meant the Spirit, whom those who believe in him were later to receive. Up to that point, the Spirit had not been given, since Jesus had not yet been glorified. And we do have, and the uh, on the internet, the doctrine of the indwelling of the Father, the doctrine of the indwelling of the Spirit, and the doctrine of the indwelling of uh, the Spirit and the Son. So the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit indwell us. Now let's go on. God has provided subtle differences between the two New Testament words for love. And I think this is one we've gone over on more than one occasion. Uh, John 21, 15, 16, 17. It's a post-resurrection uh, 
and uh, Scripture. The Lord, they had seen Him resurrected, and then they had numerous appearances of Christ after that to 500 at one time. And then they had all gone fishing. They went back to doing their their vocation. That's not all. They're listed here. The disciples. They're out fishing, and the Lord appears to them. He's going to rebuke Peter. He's using Peter as the leader, because he is the leader of supposed to be the leader of the Jews. Remember, he kind of uh, missed the boat there a little bit. Pardon the expression, because we're going to talk about a boat here. But uh, here we go. So when they had dined, all the guys had gone out fishing and they brought the fish back in and they took some of the fish and they put them on the fire. And man, it was looking good. They had the tartar sauce all made, you know, and uh, whatever. And uh, Jesus said to Simon, Peter, Simon, son of Jonas, love us. And he used the word agapio there. And you remember agapio is the verb form of a love based upon whom and what, what. The subject is, not whom and what the object is. Do you love me more than these? He said unto him, Yea, Lord, thou knowest that I love. And then the youth goes to Phileo. He says, I loved you. I like to go around with you. I enjoyed being with you. You know, we went on this. You know, we did this. We did that. You know, we went to the ball game together. You bought me a hot dog, you know. And I remember you, you introduced me to some of your friends. And so we just had a big time, you know. I loved you. He saith unto him then, that wasn't enough, feed my sheep or lambs. He saith to him again the second time, Simon, son of Jonas, love us. In other words, agapio, do you really love me based upon whom and what you are? A real love, an agapio love? He saith unto him, yea, Lord, thou knowest that I love phileo thee. You remember that? We went to the boxing matches together and Enjoyed ourselves, you know, and then we know I had a couple of cool ones and I mean you know you know that was uh you know I did. And then he said, Feed my sheep. And he said to him the third time, Simon son of Jonas, love us, phileo thou me. In other words, do you even really love me or care for me and enjoy me when I was with you? Peter was grieved because he said unto him the third time, Lovest phileo thou me. And he said unto him, Lord, thou knowest all things. Thou knowest that I love phileo thee. Jesus said unto him, Feed my sheep. And of course, he won't be feeding his sheep much until the Holy Spirit comes and he begins to learn about the church age. And then he begins to learn about all the things that are so important to each and every believer, which he will eventually do, but it's going to take First Peter and Second Peter before we find out about Peter and his mission and his role. All right, production in the Christian life is a product of doctrine in the right low, which is provided by the ministry of God the Holy Spirit. This certainly includes our positive reaction to suffering. Notice Romans 5, 3, 4, and 5. Not only so, but we also rejoice in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance, character, and character, hope. And hope does not disappoint us because God has poured out His love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit whom He has given us. 
All right, the love poured out in our hearts is a result of God's wonderful grace, which provides equality to all believers. And uh, suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, and character, hope, and hope is not disappointed. So the love poured out in our hearts is a result of God's wonderful grace, which provides equality to all believers. And it's a bit subtle, but I think it's there. In Ephesians 3, 17, 18, and 19. How do we have Scripture? Why do we have Scripture? That Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith, that ye being rooted and grounded in love, agape. Remember agape is the love that comes because of who and what the subject is, not who and what the object is. I love you in spite of the fact you're abusing me. I love you in spite of the fact that you do this or you do that. I'm going to love you, period. And that's the love that man is supposed to have for his wife. All right, that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith, that ye being rooted and grounded in love, agape, may be able to comprehend with all the saints. Together with is the Greek of with all the saints. You can learn what is the breadth and the length and the depth and the height. And to know the love, agape of Christ, which passes, surpasses knowledge. It goes on to epinosis, which is knowledge beyond just doctrine in the left lobe. But doctrine in the left lobe transferred to the right lobe and thus providing the protocol plan of God. So thus the formula, which we will see in a minute, the filling of the Spirit plus our human IQ, which we get at birth, equals a spiritual IQ plus Operation Z equals protocol plan of God. So the Holy Spirit will energize, will teach doctrine to the human spirit so that it is academically understood. See the charts and scriptures below. And there they are. First of all, the Operation Z chart. Bible doctrine enters the soul where the Holy Spirit makes perspicuous, teaches so that you understand. Your human spirit will understand. Remember, we didn't get a human spirit at birth. We have to get a new one. All right, so doctrine enters the soul. The Holy Spirit teaches your human spirit. Then by faith you appropriate it over to your right lobe where it becomes no longer gnosis but epinosis, full knowledge. And thus this formula, which is not a good mathematical formula, but it'll work here. Filling plus our human IQ, whatever that might be, then it's going to equal, because of the filling of the Spirit, we get that when we name our sin back to God, a spiritual IQ, something brand new and different. Plus Operation Z, as you see up there, you see the Z, and then you that's going to equal the protocol plan of God, spiritual growth. And then another chart, the schematic of the soul, which we've seen before. Bible doctrine enters the left flow where it's called the noose, and the Holy Spirit teaches your human spirit, and then you have gnosis. And then when you, by faith, appropriate it over to the right lobe, where it becomes part of your stream of consciousness, into the cardia, which is what the word is for heart in the Greek, and uh, it becomes epinosis. And then it 
and begins to use certain assets like memory center, frame of reference, categories, vocabulary storage, norms and standards, momentum, wisdom, and will produce divine good. So uh, we have a listing of all of those things and a definition of them. Uh, memory center, frame of reference. I don't know if we'll get, we won't get to it tonight, but eventually we will. So let's just look at 1 Corinthians 2, 11. However, as it is written, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has conceived what God has prepared for those who love Him. But God has revealed it to us by His Spirit, the charts above. The Spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. For who among men knows the thoughts of a man except the man's spirit within him? You know, you go to school and you learn stuff. Maybe you don't go to school, but you still learn stuff. In the same way, no one knows the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. We have not received the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we may understand what God has freely given us. This is what we speak, not in words taught us by human wisdom, but in words taught by the Spirit, expressing spiritual things in spiritual words. And then again, reading on, 1 Corinthians 2, 14, 15, and 16. The man without the Spirit does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God. No, it has to have a Spirit so that the Spirit of God can be taught by the Holy Spirit. I mean, the Holy Spirit can teach our human spirit. For they are foolishness to him, and he cannot understand them because they are spiritually discerned, not intellectually discerned. The spiritual man makes judgment about all things. But he himself is not subject to any man's judgment. And there's our scripture we read earlier. For who has known the mind of the Lord that it might instruct him or he might instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. John fourteen twenty six. But the comforter which is comforter which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance. Whatsoever I have said unto you, and come indeed he did. Did John sixteen thirteen? Howbeit, or therefore, when He, the Spirit of Truth, the Holy Spirit, is come, He will guide you into all truth, for He shall not speak of Himself. No, no, no. But whatsoever He shall hear, as you are hearing tonight, the Holy Spirit will teach you. He will speak. He will teach you. Speak is laleo, which can mean teach. And he'll show you things to come. Prophecy. So love of God reaches its acme at spiritual maturity as evidenced in Paul's attitude while in prison. And we'll stop right there because I know it's time. And uh, we'll go ahead with that uh, later. All right, but let's uh, have an invitation now in case there is someone who's listening to us either by the podcast or perhaps by uh, the internet and has not believed on the Lord Jesus Christ. If that's the case, you need to do that right now. For God so loved the world, He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. God sent His Son into the world, not to condemn the world, but that the world through Him might be saved. He that believeth on the Son has everlasting life. For he came unto his own Israel, but his own received him not. 
But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them who believe on his name. And now I'll pause for just a moment and give opportunity to that person who is without Christ, without hope, and without eternal life to solve the problem by believing on the Lord Jesus Christ. And then I'll ask God's blessing upon the teaching of the word this day, this evening. Father, we're grateful for the privilege of being able to come and worship. Now, I would ask that God the Holy Spirit would take that which I have presented, make it real, in order that we might grow in your wonderful grace and become more like our Lord and Savior, even Jesus the Christ, in whose name I pray. Amen.